Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. As we turn to our study in Matthew chapter 16 this morning, we're picking up in verse 13 today. Uh, And what we see here in these it's really two sections that we'll consider today, beginning in, in, in verse 13 and then making our way uh, really through verse uh, 27 is where we will end today. We find ourselves at a place that certainly uh, there's a couple of verses in here that, I, that you could say are perhaps some of the most contested, debated verses uh, in the Bible uh, that have uh, lent themselves to much understanding and misunderstanding within the church today. We've got to tackle a little bit of that. But we also have this incredible interaction that we'll consider here this morning between Jesus and his disciples, but specifically Peter. Jesus is is going to ask the question of the disciples here uh, in, in this passage, who, who does the, what does the world say about me, in effect? And then from there, he's going to look to them and he's going to say, who do you say that I am? And that's an incredibly important question that every individual has to answer at some point in their life. I mean, the question that Jesus asks of the disciples here is is truly uh, one of the most profound questions that any individual will ever consider. I would ask of you this morning, as you're just sitting there in your own minds, when you hear the question, who is Jesus? What comes to mind? If you were out on the street, if you were walking around, you were in a store, you're in the workplace, and somebody comes to you and says, tell me about Jesus. Who's Jesus? How is it that you respond? What what is it that you would tell them? The fact of the matter is, the answer to that question, your answer to that question, has profound implications. And it will communicate much about your relationship with Jesus or lack thereof. This same implication has been there throughout history, as we will see. And we'll begin here in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now Jesus and His disciples at this point have left the area of Magdala. They've been... They've been putting in a lot of miles, okay? They've been making their way around Israel, especially around the Sea of Galilee, even all the way up uh, into uh, really what is uh, uh, the Lebanon area and then down into uh, uh, the Gentile area there in the south, uh, southeast of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, they're, they're going all over the place. And now they're gone from Magdala into the area of Caesarea Philippi. Now, what we must understand here is that this area had a, a bit of a greater Gentile population than some of the other areas in Israel, and it was known for its pagan worship, okay? Uh, there was altars to the Baals there. There was uh, the Greek god Pan. Uh, he's the guy that looks sort of like a, he's a mix between a, a, a dude and a, and a goat, okay? He's got the legs and the horns, but otherwise he looks like a guy, and he plays a flute sometimes, okay? Okay. Uh, there's an altar, there's a whole like, like worship site to him there. And these things are likely even in view as Jesus is talking with his disciples, okay? So imagine, if you will, Jesus is standing there and, and behind him are temples to false gods. And then Jesus says, 
who do people say that I am? Uh, so the disciples here, they respond with various perspectives on the part of the people. In verse 14, it says, So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so what we must understand is that for the disciples, they're saying this is really what the world is saying about Jesus. Several different views, and, and quite frankly, there's some aspects of truth that are woven throughout uh, their, uh, their perspectives in that Jesus is certainly a prophet. Uh, he is a, he's another voice, if you will, like that of John the Baptist crying out, okay? It wasn't entirely wrong to kind of hear Jesus' teaching as, of course, prophetic, but ultimately all the views are wrong. They're rooted in, in misunderstanding of Scripture, fact of the matter is, it's similar today. Who does the world think Jesus to be? This time of year, especially when on numerous radio stations, it's not only Christmas music, but occasionally the Christian Christmas song sneaks its way in there, right? You may find yourself going, whoa, whoa, whoa what was that? Right? We watched, I, I can't even remember what it was. We watched one of the holiday movies, I think it was on Netflix or something like that. I can't recall which one it was. But, I mean, it was very much, it was not a Christian Christmas movie, okay? But all of a sudden, they're singing Christmas songs. I mean, they're talking about the glory to the newborn king and all these different things. And I wonder, what are people, what are people thinking when they hear this? Are they just tuning it out? Or are they thinking, oh yeah, that's Jesus. Yeah, he was born, I don't deny that. A good teacher, Lots of wisdom, but Messiah? My Savior? No, no, no. I don't have need for that. No doubt the opinions are different amongst many people, but the fact of the matter is there are still people in the world today because of the presence of the church who are considering Jesus. wonder what they'd say. It's good that the disciples are able to answer this question. This shows that they have an awareness of the culture. It should be said of us that we could say, here's what people think about Jesus. We learn what people think about Jesus oftentimes when we tell them about him, right? Do you know what the world thinks about Jesus? Do those around you who maybe don't know Jesus in the workplace, whatever it may be, do you have a sense of what they think about Jesus? If you don't, maybe that's a call to action for you to find out. Sometimes it's as easy as saying, what do you think about Jesus? Right? Just like Jesus did here. And so this question is incredibly important as is the next question. So they respond to him. They give him insight into what the people are saying. In verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And this is that point where it really comes to the point, right? Where, where, he, where Jesus comes to this place where he looks at his disciples and he says, I want to know what you think about me. Not because he was curious. It wasn't that Jesus needed help figuring out who he was. But it was very important for him to understand what about his disciples? Do they know? Do they understand? You see, in, in, in the world, those in the world, they'll have many different views on who Jesus is, but the view that matters most is of those who follow Jesus. That's not to discount or su to suggest that those who don't know Jesus, that, that we, we shouldn't strive to, to share the gospel with them, but truly in the church today, the people who say, I know Jesus, I follow Jesus. Well, do you? Do you know who he is? Friends, the answer to this question, as I've already stated, but it cannot be overstated, the answer to this question is a great consequence. There are implications of an eternal nature. Who is Jesus? 
You know, we think about this time of year and, 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 and the, the very thing that we kind of celebrate more so in the season of Advent is, of course, the birth of Jesus. It's this wonderful thing. It's the incarnation. It's this thing that is beyond our understanding that God, fully God, would become man, that He would descend into the, the depths of His sinful creation willingly, and that He would come and be born of a woman, this little baby, and that the, the blood that was in Him would be shed for the sins of the world, and that in obedience He would grow grow up and he would learn and he would grow and he would experience things and he would make his way to the cross. And in this time of year, you know, we love to look at the manger and tell the stories and that's a wonderful thing. There's literally nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But I wonder sometimes, do we just get caught up in the feel of the Christmas season and the fact that, oh, it's the little baby in the manger and do we have a sense of, this is God's plan of salvation that from the very beginning of time, God has been working this out and as Jesus comes into the world, like this is it, it's happening. And it's God's plan, by the way, not our plan. That's one wonderful thing about the grace that's demonstrated in it is that we couldn't do it. We can't accomplish it. What was accomplished through the incarnation is entirely outside of us and our control. It's because of Him and His love for us. But here's the thing. We can't separate the fact that God has a plan and, and somehow then uh, make it uh, about us okay we can't and that's what we're going to see here this morning to a degree is some misunderstandings and some desire especially on the part of peter to apply his will and his understanding to the situation and jesus is going to say no 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 if you follow me if you know who i am then this is what you should expect and so here he asks the question and simon peter answers and he says you are the christ the Son of the living God. Once again, I've said this multiple times over the past three weeks because this passage, or these few chapters that we're in, really I would love to have a, a greater sense of the tone, okay? I don't know how Peter said this. Peter may have been like, the, the, the Christ? Son of the living God? Right? I don't think that's what he did. I really think he was like, ooh, 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 ooh. Pick me, pick me, right? And then, Peter, <laughs> you're the Christ, son of the living God. I walked on water. You were there, we were there, we got in the boat. You told me some things. I'm excited. Did I get it right, right? I, I, I have to think that this is how Peter is doing it, but I could be wrong, okay? I might get to heaven one day and he'll be like, really? Thanks for that, you know? Now notice also he says you're son of the living God. Remember where they're at. Remember what they're likely seeing temples to dead false gods he says you're the son of the, the living god and so of course here jesus is like yes good for you in verse 17 jesus answers and blessed are you simon bar jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven now you could look at this a little bit and say uh you know that somehow jesus here is saying well you, you really didn't know that it was revealed to you by God. But I think what's wonderful here, I think what Jesus is recognizing here is that you're hearing. God's speaking to you. Divine revelation is happening. Any of that ever, anybody, any of you, excuse me, ever experienced that? Where you're like, oh, I don't know where that came from. Or you're discipling somebody, you're walking with somebody who's sort of growing in the Lord, and all of a sudden they start to say things, and you're like, whoa, that doesn't sound like you. It sounded like it had a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more of the Spirit. And you're excited, right? It's not like, ah, see, that was just God, not you. 
right, even though that's the truth. You're excited because it's like, hey, you're growing, you're hearing from the Lord. I think that's what's happening here. For Peter, though, it was like, yes, nailed it, right? Looking, maybe he's looking at, back at the rest of the guys and like, see, right? So Peter's done well here. But here's the thing. He had not arrived at this conclusion simply by intellectual assent. Up to this time, Jesus had certainly been revealing himself more and more. The disciples had declared that Jesus uh, was the Son of God when he came into the boat and the wind was calmed there after Peter walked on, on water. And, uh, but here now, Peter effectively declares that you're, you're the Messiah. Not just the Son of God, but you're the Messiah, the Christ. And that only comes through supernatural help. You know, Jesus himself said in John 6, he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at that last day. You see, the truth is, as Jesus says of us in John three nineteen, he says, we, we love darkness. In and of ourselves, that's what we love. We love darkness. And so anything that is good, any, any awareness we have of God is because he's working. He's drawn us under repentance. He's revealing things to us. And, 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 and yes, there is, there is an aspect there of, of this is where we go down that slope of predestination and election and foreknowledge and all those different things. Okay, it's, it's all there, guys, so deal with it. It's all there, free will and election. It's all there. But we can't deny the fact that Jesus himself is saying, listen, there's an aspect of what God needs to do in you for you to fully understand. So the people out in the world, when you ask them who is Jesus, what they're giving to you is from here. And when you're a believer, you're giving this and this. Because now Jesus is just more than that good teacher. No, he's my Savior. He's my Lord. We cannot in and of ourselves comprehend the light. To go from an intellectual understanding of who Jesus is to an understanding of the heart requires a work of the Spirit in our lives. And so Peter here is, he's celebrating that he passed the test and I think Jesus is so proud because he sees that it's God's work in your hearing. And in verse 18, and I also say to you, now here we come into to two really difficult verses, okay? He says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So here, welcome to the two most contro controversial verses in all of Scripture, in my opinion. Uh, Jesus has commended here Peter for speaking rightly of who Jesus is. And Jesus recognizes the divine revelation that's contributed to Peter's understanding, which is certainly a sign of, of things to come as that's going to continue to happen for Peter and for the rest of the uh, apostles. And so Jesus, now very much in the stage of his ministry where he is working to prepare the disciples for what is to come, he begins to communicate now for the very first time about his church. This word church here, this is the first time that we see it, okay? So now Jesus is starting to talk about, as these things are happening, he's going to start to talk about his church. This is the first time we see this word church, and it's the Greek word ecclesia or ekklesia, which literally means called out ones but is often translated at this particular time as, as a gathering. Okay, so now Jesus is talking about his church, the gathering of people called out ones. And then what Jesus does here is a little bit of wordplay, is when he commended Peter, when he said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Jesus was using his original name. Okay? And then here Jesus says, and also I say to you that you are Peter. Okay, which is Petros 
the Greek word petros meaning rock. Now, petros really means uh, essentially a smaller rock, a fragment of a larger rock, okay? So he says, you're Peter, you're petros. And then Jesus says, and on this rock, using a different word, petra, different, uh, different gender, speaking of a larger rock, I will build my church. Now, here's the deal. Many a misapplication has been made regarding these few words. Namely, that of the Catholic Church. Now, we'll get to that in a second, okay? But we've got to understand this. I can't just pass this by, okay? We've got we've to understand this. Now, one of the more commonly held views amongst evangelicals, and this could be the right view. Listen, some people will absolutely disagree with me on my perspective on this. One of the more commonly held views is that what Jesus is speaking about here is, is the found, as the foundation is that Peter, the rock, Petros, and his confession, his confession that Jesus is the Christ will serve as the foundation of the church. That that's the rock on which Christ is building his church upon. The, the confession that Peter has made, which is essentially the gospel. Okay, Now certainly, Peter will play uh, a foundational role in declaring the gospel. And that will serve as the basis for the church. Uh, I think because of Jesus' wordplay, that there is certainly some merit to this view, but I don't think it's exactly what Jesus is referring to. Now, the greater misapplication is found in the Catholic Church today where they take these words of Jesus to, uh, the, to apply to Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. They say that that belongs to Peter. He's speaking about Peter and his authority, which from that then has come this view of papal authority or papal supremacy, which basically means that the Pope has all authority in the church and he has all authority because he is a, he's a successor going all the way back, all the other popes, all the way back to Peter. Okay, That's really where that idea of papal supremacy comes from. Now, <clears throat> here's what I think it means. Okay, Peter, of course, is going to be used by God. And he plays a role. Peter, though, is Petros, the small fragment of the larger rock. But the rock, Petra, I believe absolutely refers to Jesus, the larger rock. And it is upon Jesus that the church will be built. Not upon Peter. Goodness gracious, we'll see what happens to Peter here in a moment. I hope that he's not the foundation of the church. God bless you. Maybe, but I'm inclined to say it's more about Jesus. Okay? So, let's think about this for a minute. <clears throat> the word Petra... This is the one that I think refers to Jesus. By my count, occurs 13 times in the New Testament. Every time, if you include this passage, it's talking about Jesus. Okay? Why would this passage here suddenly be different? Why would this passage here, that term Petra, suddenly apply to Peter? Moreover, in this passage, Peter continu- or excuse me, Jesus continuously, as he's referencing Peter, he says, you, you, you. You, until he comes to the foundation of his church and he says, there he says, this. It's something different. He didn't say you are the foundation. He said this is. Once again, we don't have tone. We don't have, we're not watching. Maybe he gestured, right? But I think we can see here, at least within the language, doing a word study, that it makes sense that it's Jesus. And what of, what of the other apostles? What did they say? What did Peter himself say? Peter, Pet, uh, Petros, what did he say of the, sto- of the rock Petra? 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, he used that word. He said it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's Jesus. What did Paul say of the stone Petra, the rock? He writes in Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, all of them, by the way, not just Peter, so they are part of the foundation, he says Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, Petra. The church is built on Jesus, folks. That's my stance, and as Jesus said, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, the gates of hell was sort of a Jewish idiom that, mean, that meant the power of death. And so because Jesus will have victory over death, he can say here, the church will be established on me, Jesus Christ, the rock, and I will be victorious over death, and that means that nothing can touch it. And that's why we're going into the year 2021, and the church is still here. And no matter who tries to strike it down, they may make some progress in one area, and guess what? It pops up in another. And throughout history, the church has continued to grow, and especially under periods of great persecution and suffering. Now, we come into verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Once again, debated, and in my opinion, misunderstood. And by the way, if you've ever wondered where this idea of Peter uh, at the gates of heaven, uh, you know, standing there sort of, you know, kind of administering things at St. Peter's gate, uh, this is where this comes from, okay? Does Peter have authority in part because of what Jesus says here? Yes, he does. He and the apostles have authority, but their authority is rooted in Jesus, okay? It's rooted in Jesus Christ's authority. But this does not mean that Peter here, because he has the keys of the kingdom of heaven, is somehow standing there at this gate, sort of unlocking it and locking it, you know, depending on who shows up, okay? And perhaps even a more errant view, right? Perhaps a more errant view is that we as believers today, more so than even the keys of the kingdom of heaven, but as it relates to this idea of binding and loosing, that we can walk around just sort of binding and loosing things, say, for example, Satan and his demons in Jesus' name. Now here, I want to understand, this one may make some people upset. I realize that some may take exception to me saying this. And I want you to understand, I am not suggesting that there is not power in the name of Jesus. Okay? But I am suggesting that we have a responsibility to take Scripture in context. And this is just not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here within context is that authority would be given to the apostles to begin proclaiming the gospel. And in so doing, they would also be used by the Spirit to write Scripture. And these Scriptures declared would serve to open and to close the kingdom to those who accept or reject the gospel. You see, the act of binding and loosing was long practiced by the rabbis in context of God's law. With so many laws that were often very difficult to interpret, a Jewish person could go to the rabbi and say, here's the situation. <laughs> it's a little gray. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do here. And the rabbi would make a determination in saying you're either bound to the law, you've got to uphold it, you've got to keep it, you've got to go through the process. Say, for example, of ritual cleansing. Or, no, you're loosed from it, it doesn't apply to you, it's okay. They had authority to sort of make that uh, judgment. The same authority that was then given to the apostles as they communicated the gospel. The same authority that is then given to all believers today as we proclaim the truth of the gospel. And in so doing, puts people in a situation where they're either condemned or set free. 
Now again, I understand that for many people, they've held to a different view, particularly of that verse there. But folks, we've got to pay attention to context. For us as believers today, indwelt and empowered and called to share the word, we have the incredible privilege of operating in the authority of Christ as we share the truth of the word. And so the fact is, as we consider these two verses, I recognize that some would disagree, perhaps some even vehemently. And it is not that in arrogance I claim to be right, but you see, we just can't because we want something to be true or we want something to operate a certain way. We just can't claim it. We have to understand the Scriptures and apply them appropriately. And here, as it relates to the broader theme that we've just considered, when I have the choice between allowing Scripture to make more of man, to make more of man and to make more of man's authority, versus making more of Jesus and Jesus' authority and the authority of the Word of God, I'm going to choose the latter. I'm going to default to Jesus. Amen? Far too often, man's perspective, man's thinking gets in the way. And we see that on display in the next passage. First, Jesus says in verse 20, he says, Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So Jesus is ever mindful of God-ordained timing. And so he instructs his disciples, hey, remain quiet. We're, we're not there yet, okay? In verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So remember, Jesus is teaching and preparing the disciples. They've just discussed that he is the Christ. And based on that understanding, they should know. If they say, okay, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, they should know based off of prophecy, they should know based off of Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and many other passages in Scripture, over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that pertain to Jesus many of them the same, 61 in total, 61 prophecies in total in the Old Testament, different prophecies that pertain to Jesus. He fulfilled them all, okay? Well, there's, there's one that's still yet to come. Jesus tells them here, he says, he says my suffering and my death is, is necessary. But Peter, the new star of the class, who aced the last test, he has something to say about this, Right? Verse 22, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Mind you folks, when you're about to rebuke Jesus, just slow your roll a little bit, okay? Just pause, breathe, okay? Think for a moment, okay? Peter goes to him to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now again, we don't fully understand what was going on here. We don't fully know Peter's thinking. Well, let's give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of just his, his desire. Like, no, Lord, no, this can't possibly be. And, and gosh, we love Peter, right? I mean, we're hard on him. I'm hard on him. I do think his heart was in the right place, but, but Peter here, perhaps a bit overconfident that he had just heard from the Lord, oh, I had, I had some divine revelation here. I think I'm hearing pretty well now. Okay, uh, Jesus just said this. I don't like the sound of that. That must be, that must be God. I'm going to rebuke him. Okay, and so he goes to him and, and, and thinking, I've got this all figured out. And so, but here's the problem. You see, the problem here is that it seems that Peter went from divine inspiration to mortal understanding, which most often is not of God. In other words, he started thinking like a man. Now, ladies, watch out. That doesn't mean what you just th thought I heard it, thought you heard it say, right? Actually, it kind of does sometimes. He's thinking like a man. 
And so he says, no, Lord, God won't let this happen to you. This this can't possibly be. And look at Jesus' response. Verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. I can hardly fathom what such a firm and pointed rebuke from Jesus would feel like. Especially in front of all my friends. I don't envy Peter here. But we gain insight as Jesus says to Peter, you're mindful of the things of men. You're thinking like men right now. Guys, we've got to hear that. We've got to pay attention to that. Because quite frankly, no different than even some of the misapplication of verses that we just considered, it's evidence that far too often we look at Scripture, we, we go to the Lord, and we think like men. And we, and, and we try to apply things in a way that just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. And we've got to be careful about that. We've got to be careful about how we're thinking. Remember what it was said of the disciples and, 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 and praise the Lord that in their time spent with Him, they grew and they learned. And, and my goodness, the Lord used them to, to turn the world upside down. The, the, these were, were foolish men. They were fallen men. They were men that made mistakes, but they were redeemed men used by God who loved the Lord. And they grew and they were sanctified and they were set apart and they did incredible things. But as we, as we look at this, we've got, we've got to understand that, that <clears throat> there's a way that things are to be done. That as we spend time with Jesus, and that's what was, what was said of the disciples, that people began to know that hey, they spent time with Jesus. That we begin to understand Him more and learn His Word and hear from Him rightly. Listen, when we look at things our way, we tend to get it wrong because God does not do things the way that we would. But when we pursue Him in prayer and in His Word, He transforms our mind. He informs our thinking. And then we can begin to see things the way that He does. And that's ultimately what we're called to. What is the thinking of men here? As He says, you're thinking like men. Well, I think Jesus' next response gives us insight. And really it ties back perhaps even to Peter's rebuke of Jesus in the first place. Could it, could it be that more than Peter simply saying, no, Jesus, this can't be, God won't let that happen, that, that, that more than as a follower of Jesus, that, that, that if, if it's required that you die, if it's necessary that you die, that you suffer, what about me as a follower? Does that mean I've got to follow suit? That's more speculation than anything, but I can't help but think that maybe that thought was there. As we say, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. Will you? Jesus says to his disciples in verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. I want us to go back to the beginning here for a moment. Back to verse 13. They've come into the area of Caesarea Philippi. It's a hub for pagan worship. Jesus begins asking, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Jesus, for the first time, begins talking about building His church, speaking plainly about His death and His resurrection, and now this. You see, folks, what what you think of Jesus will determine whether and how you will follow Him. Who is Jesus? Is He a good man? 
a teacher, a prophet, or is he your Savior and Lord? If all he is to you is a great teacher, a good man, a philosopher, you're still thinking as a man. Your eyes have yet to be truly open to who Jesus is. Yet if you proclaim him as Lord, we must also be careful that we're not still letting the thinking of the world influence our perspectives and our beliefs. Listen, Jesus very plainly states that his suffering and death are necessary. But then he also clearly states that our suffering and our death should come willingly. Now, we don't have to die like he did, praise God, but we get to lay our lives down. And I think we have a gross misunderstanding today of what that often looks like. Think about what Peter was doing as he rebuked Jesus. The fact of the matter is, I think we're just like Peter so often. Listen, who who is Jesus? And just go through this in your mind. Who is he? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you want to follow him? Be honest with yourself. There's been times in my, in my life where I've said, Lord, I'm not, I'm not loving you the way that I should. Lord, I don't want to follow you. I don't want to do this, Lord. I do not want to do what you are telling me to do. I'm not asking you to be rebellious. I'm just asking you to be honest because he already knows your heart. And it's a wonderful thing when we can just say it out loud and say, Lord, I'm struggling. I don't want to do this. Lord, work on me. Show me. Teach me. Because he says, if you want to follow him, he says first, deny yourself. Consider our earlier lessons, if you will, from the past couple weeks from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Deny yourself means no more self-righteousness. No more self-indulgence. It means taking what you want, what you think you need. It means taking your comforts, your pleasures, your selfish ambitions, your worldly pursuits, all of it and willingly laying it on the altar and saying, Lord, it's yours. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to lay it there and think, Lord, I hope you give some of that back. (laughs) I'd really like to hold on to that, Lord. But if you want to practice self-denial, you got to be willing to say, it's yours. And if you want it, Lord, I'll give it to you. You do with it what you want, Lord. And then from there, self-denial, then you pick up your cross. Listen, we've become so familiar with crosses that when we see one, we think of Jesus, and maybe it causes us to worship, right? Which is a good thing. You see a cross, and you're just like, oh, that's a symbol of my Savior. Praise the Lord. And you give Him thanks. That's great. Okay, that's not the worst thing to happen when you see a a cross. But what would it be like, again, context here, if you went outside after church and you're walking to your car and there's six crosses up there with men half dead hanging on them crying out to you saying, help, water. What if most days as you entered your neighborhood, say, or you're going, into the, you're going downtown into Columbia and there's a, a new cross, there's a criminal hanging on it, and you begin to see the act of crucifixion regularly taking place. You think you might begin to respond a little differently when someone says, pick up your cross. Forgive the frankness here. But we must consider it here today. What if somebody said, what if, what if today was the day that somebody said to you, pick up the lethal injection, carry it with you, that's yours. It's just a matter of time. We have to be able to make that parallel to truly understand. So as these disciples are sitting here listening to this, they need to understand that when Jesus says, you deny yourself and you pick up your cross, that that means they're dead men walking. And then you follow him. 
And you see, following him is about denying yourself. It's about letting go of sin and any of your desires in exchange for him. But it's also about being willing then to follow him, even when perhaps certain suffering and maybe even death will follow. You see, Peter didn't like that idea. No way, Lord, not you. Yet Jesus said, you're an offense. Get behind me. You're thinking like men. And I want to ask us today, are we thinking like men? Or are we thinking like Jesus? Are we thinking through the lens of divine revelation with an awareness of, Lord, whatever you want? And, and, and guys, these can, these can range in severity, right? But I want you to think, are you, are you thinking like Jesus or are you thinking like Peter? When someone says, maybe it's as simple as, you know what, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to take a pay cut. I'm going to do, I'm going to do whatever it is. The Lord's calling me to do this. Are you the person that says, praise God? Or are you the person that says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, what are you doing? You, you shouldn't do that. What, what about this? Or what about this? Listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not chastising someone for exercising wisdom. But are you the one who deserves the chastisement of, you're an offense to me? Get behind me? That like Peter, you're preventing maybe what God is doing in somebody's life? What about the person that says, I'm going to go do missions work. I'm going I'm to go abroad. I'm going I'm to sacrifice everyday comforts. I'm going to forego benefits and retirement. And someone says, no, 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 you need those things. Who said? Who said you need those things? Warren Buffett? Friends, which one are you? The one willing to deny yourself, to risk it all, to follow him? Or like Peter, are you the offense? An example of man's way of thinking. What does it mean to pick up your cross? I'm going to invite the worship team up to close us out in a song here. Listen, picking up your cross, it's not getting up early because your kids won't sleep in. That may be a burden, okay? I'm not, I'm not discounting that. You have every right to be like, oh, okay, it's early. But sometimes in those moments, we find ourselves what going like, oh, well, you know, everybody's got a cross to bear. That's not your cross. Picking up your cross is not dealing with a coworker who annoys you. Picking up your cross, denying yourself, is being willing to lose your life. To sacrifice your plans for his plan, your desires for his purposes, Knowing also, and here's the wonderful thing about what Jesus says, knowing that he's coming again. And so I want to be a part of that. I, when he comes, I want to be doing things that, that he's going to say, man, I'm proud of you. Denying yourself, picking up your cross, it's a paradox, right? In terms of he who finds his life will lose it, he who loses his life will find it. It can make our head hurt a little bit. It's the opposite of our pleasure now, pay later culture. Instead, we exchange it for first suffering, then reward. As the adage goes, first the cross, then the crown. Listen, we'll leave verse 28 for next week. Fits more into the next passage. Maybe you're thinking, this isn't the feel-good message you were hoping for in this season of Advent. What can I say? It's the blessing of verse-by-verse teaching. We deal with it as it comes. But listen, really, if, 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 if in this season of Advent we are rightly celebrating what He has done while looking forward to His return, with anticipation, do we get to ignore what he calls us to do? Do we, like Peter, get to say, no, far be it. God won't expect these things from us. I'm an American. I just hit a nerve, didn't I? I mean, be, guys, be honest. 
no, life is, life is too good. There's, there's too, many, too many comforts and too many things, you know, that I, I don't want to have to give it all up to suffer, right? We're so, and it's, and it's unfortunate. Listen, we're blessed. I've said this a million times lately. We are a blessed people. We are, to live in this country, we are so stinking blessed. Praise God for it. May it inform our worship. May it cause us to go, thank you, Lord, for how you care for us. But I refuse Though the temptation is constantly there to be a person who thinks that the life that I live day to day is the same as everybody else around the world. And when I consider all of that other stuff, I find myself going, Lord, whoa, why me? Man, we're fortunate. But Lord, what would you have me to do? It's not to, to come to a place where I expect these things, right? I mean, I even think about, listen, this is going to sound super like, whoa, that's a, powder keg waiting to go off. I'm not making a statement at all about this vaccine that's coming out, right? I'm not making a statement about how it was developed or whether you should take it, whether you shouldn't take it. What I think about is when it's like, okay, it's almost, almost here. Almost, we're almost there. Man, just maybe another month and it'll be everywhere and we can just go back to normal. And guys, please, I'm not some saint standing up here thinking, oh yeah, no, no, I, I want that. But then I sit back and I go, but Lord, what's your purpose? What's your plan? Have we, just right here, never mind anybody that's outside these doors, just right here, have we taken the last year that we're about to close the books on and have we allowed it to move us to a place of repentance? Have we, in our worship, said, Lord, you're good. As much as we've talked about it, message after message after message, have we come to a place in our hearts, if we're honest, in our own hearts, to say, Lord, you are good. No matter what, you are good. Your plans and your purposes, they will not fail. You as a sovereign God have decreed it or you've allowed it and you are using it, I firmly believe, for good in my life and in those around me to conform it to your image. And maybe he's not done yet. And so I struggle with it even in my prayers. As we pray for certain things, I find myself saying, Lord, that all I can do is just sort of say, Lord, your will be done. And help me to obey it. Help me to surrender to it. Because yeah, I can sit here and say, Lord, take this away or do this, Lord, or fix this or end this. And I think, man, what if he's right now going, Brennan, stop thinking like a man. Get behind me, Satan. You got to start to see things the way that I do. And so have we established a pattern of self-denial? Are we willing to pick up our cross, assuming the risk of suffering and even death for obedience to Christ? Are we letting go of the life that we want for the one that God wants? And perhaps even we're getting to that place, perhaps you're getting to that place where you find more and more that those things are the same. That in fact, when Scripture says, I will give you the desires of your heart, that He has, that He's begun to put His desires in your heart, and you've agreed with them. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time, Lord. Thank you for these people gathered here, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we have much to rejoice in, much to give you praise for. This may be a hard message, but it's not a sad one. It doesn't need to be. Help us to be a people that look at this and review the Scripture. And when you call us, Lord, to deny ourselves and to pick up a cross, that yes, we recognize the severity of that, the consequences of that, but that we would be a people who in our hearts say, like Peter learned to say a little bit later on, where would we go? Where else would I go? That we would be a people who say, Lord, I don't want this life anymore. I want you. 
yes, Lord, I'm willing to lose my life to find it. That we could rejoice in that. Father, we love you. We praise you. Lord, we give you thanks here this morning. Hear our praises now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.